Welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast with Brother Joe Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Now, here's your host. Hey folks, good morning and welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. I'm your host and Bible teacher, Brother Joe Rusiello, and I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in this morning and spending uh, this hour with me. Um, so, a lot of things took place over the last few days. Uh, one thing is we changed our domain name on our, our website, so uh, we're no longer using Ephesians516.org. Uh, you could still use that, though. It'll direct you or redirect you to the new domain, which is swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Uh, so uh, hopefully that won't cause too much confusion for anybody. Uh, it confuses me a little bit, to be honest, but uh, it was a better better move for us to do. Uh, and uh, so be sure to visit the website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And uh, on that last page, that third page of the website, there's a Contact Us form. You know, why don't you just uh, fill it out, send me a comment or something. But please, do me a favor, folks. Please keep it respectful and keep it clean. Uh, I've gotten a couple of messages. I'm pretty sure they were spam-type messages, but not things that um, I would really like to uh, talk about on the air. Uh, so just please keep it respectful and keep it clean. Uh, I would really, really appreciate that. Um, so yesterday was Mother's Day. And so to all the moms that uh, tuned in yesterday for our special Mother's Day broadcast, uh, I just want to say thank you for spending that time with me as well. Um, and I hope that you really did enjoy your day. Uh, I hope that you got a, a blessing out of the day. And I hope you're rested and relaxed as we uh, kick off another week of uh, chaos and headache and running around and, and all the things that we have to do uh, for our families. Um, so last week we started a series in First Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to continue that, that study uh, with chapter 2 in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I just want to remind you that uh, not only do we have a new website, but we're also now available on Apple Podcasts. So you could find our uh, podcast there now as well. So we're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor, which is where we started, Spreaker, and Spotify. So we're, uh, we're expanding our reach and uh, hopefully... Um, hopefully it'll make it more easily accessible to everybody that wants to listen in. And believe me, I do appreciate everybody's uh, time that they're, they're putting to this. So with that said, uh, why don't you grab your King James Bible, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and we'll get into the message right after this song. And we will be right back. Yeah. 
Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Once again, this is Brother Joe Rusiello, and um, I will be your host and your Bible teacher oh, for about the next hour, I think. And um, we're going to get into the study here in First Thessalonians. Uh, why don't you take your Bibles, open it up to First Thessalonians chapter 2. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your love and your mercy. Father, we want to thank you for the grace that you've shown us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we also want to thank you for your precious word. And Lord, we ask you to bless our time together as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to get right into the study. We have a lot of ground to cover today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And like I said before, we, we launched into this last week. Um, we were talking about why it's important to study these books. And, you know, it's important to study every book in the Bible. Uh, secondly, this book is uh, it's authored by the Apostle Paul. It has a, a great deal of ramification for the end of the church age Christians, which we are. Uh, there's a lot of information in here about the rapture and the second advent. Uh, and, you know, understanding, of course, that these are two very different events. Now, a lot of people get that mixed up and they don't really understand the difference between the two. And then you just kind of hear generalizations of it. You know, like but you'll hear people say, like, uh, you know, when the Lord comes back or uh, the second coming of the Lord and so on. Uh, well, the church age is concluded by an event 
that we like that we'll study in First Thessalonians chapter four. But uh, Paul not only makes mention of that uh, the rapture, he also makes periodic references to the second advent of Jesus Christ when the Lord rec- returns at the end of the tribulation with his heavenly army. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase Armageddon many times, and that takes place, and and Jesus actually establishes his kingdom on this earth. That's the second advent. Uh, Not to be confused with the rapture, okay? Now, we all know that it's good to rehearse it periodically, um, and, uh, you know, there are millions of people around the world that have prayed this prayer. They've prayed, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Uh, And about 90% of them, 90% 90% of those people have no idea what the kingdom is and what it's all about. They just pray it, and that's all. All right, thy kingdom come. Well, when the Lord returns at the second advent, he establishes his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. Well, how do you know it's a thousand years? Well, because Revelation chapter 20 tells us six times a thousand years. Now, honestly, if you can't get it after six times, then the Lord just kind of gives up on you, right? You know, he says there's no hope for them. No, I'm just kidding. Six times, though, he says it. Six times, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. Now, there's a lot to be said about that, but it doesn't involve this particular lesson, okay? And we'll get into that at some other point. But Paul makes references to both of these advents periodically throughout these epistles. And here's why. First and second Thessalonians were written to new Christians. All right, now, you know, most folks tell Christians, tell new Christians particularly, to read through John after they've been saved for its emphasis on the deity of of Christ and believing. But, you know, John was primarily written to uh, to convert a sinner. Really, to convert a sinner. Don't believe me? Look at John 20, verse 31. Just read that when you have a chance. All right? I like to send them over to First and Second Thessalonians instead. Well, why is that? Well, again, because these are written to new Christians. These folks are brand new Christians. Some have been saved only weeks or months And, you know, Paul really cannot refrain under the leadership of the Holy Spirit from reminding them that Jesus is coming again. Well, that ought to be the theme of our lives, shouldn't it? I mean, really, that's our hope. That's what we're kind of hooked into. You know, however this, however things turn out, you know, I have to periodically remind myself that the Lord's going to fix it someday. No matter what's going on politically in the world, the Lord is going to fix it someday. However big of a mess we get into, the Lord is going to fix it someday, and what a glorious day that will be. Now, don't you know how exciting it's going to be to watch King Jesus straighten out all the politics of the world? There isn't one politician on the planet that will be able to object successfully. Not one. Because the Bible says that he will rule with a rod of iron. In other words, it's his way or it's the highway. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it. All right, so I hope you have your Bibles, and we're going to be getting into First Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse number 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. So Paul here is reminding these people in Thessalonica that whatever influence he had on them, it was not in vain. There was something good that was coming out of this. Well, what is it? But even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Well, what happened at Philippi? Well, I'm glad you asked. Maybe we should find out. Let's go over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, it's interesting that Paul mentions Philippi 
because reminding ourselves that First and Second Thessalonians have a great application to end of the church age Christians, and that's us, uh, and and then he starts, he, he inserts Philippi in here, uh, Acts chapter sixteen, and let's look at verse sixteen. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So now this is in Philippi. If you go back to verse 12, you'll see that this is where the whole event is taking place. So one of the great preoccupations of the folks at Philippi is soothsaying, witchcraft, the occult, the dark side, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they were really intrigued with this. So these, these spiritual pimps, as they are, have this girl that's possessed with a spirit of divination. So in other words, she has a certain fortune-telling kind of ability. So make no mistake about it. The devil has those kinds of abilities. And he propagates that and uses that to his advantage. Well, let's look at verse 17. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men, speaking of Paul and his colleagues, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, what she said was absolutely the truth, was it not? Right? No question about it. You know, the devil can speak the truth if it works to his advantage. And occasionally he'll do that. So what she's saying is true. All right, verse 18. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So now think, though, but why would Paul be upset if this girl with the spirit of divination is just following them around saying, these guys are telling the truth concerning salvation. Well, you see, Paul understands and recognizes that you don't need an endorsement from the devil. Are you with me? That's not what you want. That's not what you need. What you need is an endorsement from God. It also gives a false impression about the apostles themselves. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, if he didn't acknowledge what she was saying, it would be like they approved of divination and soothsaying. And so Paul says, you know, I've had about a gut full of this. So he commands the spirit to come out of her. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, uh-oh, uh-oh, well, there goes the meal ticket, right? They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Well, all of a sudden now they're big trouble, right? They weren't trouble before. All of a sudden they are now. Big, big trouble. Well, why? Well, because they lost their ability to profit. That's why. That's the whole thing. You know, if you don't understand a thing, you follow the money trail. Every single time. If you don't understand a thing, there's a buck in there for somebody. And, and you know what the Bible says, right? Money answereth all things. And it surely does. Uh, if you don't understand things like the Clinton Foundation, follow the money trail. That's all you have to do. You know, where did it come from? Well, they brought them to the magistrate and said, you know, these guys are big trouble for our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. See, all this is, all this is, is a manufactured complaint. As long as they were making a buck, there were no complaints. The minute that left, oh my, we have to manufacture something here. And we go on. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. 
who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Okay, so that's the story right there. Now, of course, it, as it goes on, the jailer has this has this great conversion experience, and it's a wonderful story, actually, how it all ends up. But in the process, these preachers are beaten and they suffer as a result. And Paul says, shamefully entreated. All right, let's go back to First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, he says, "We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God." with much contention. He said they were treated horribly at Philippi. We came to you after that. And that's what he's saying. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Paul reminds them, when I preached to you, there was no deceit. There was no guile in my message. I had an honest heart, and I was simply trying to convey to you the truth. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. So when someone is put in trust of something, that's sometimes called stewardship. Okay. Now, Paul was given stewardship of the gospel. Now, here's the really good news. The really good news. So were you. So were you. You were given stewardship of the gospel. Now, what's a steward? A steward is someone who is representing the owner and the owner trusts the steward. That's stewardship. We often consider stewardship of material things, but we need to be reminded that every believer is a steward of God, a steward of the gospel. So it's a trust thing. It's a trust thing. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is suggesting this to Timothy here in verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Committed to my trust. So the Lord trusted Paul to preach the truth. Now run over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. Now he lays this on Timothy, his young ministerial protege. All right. He says in verse 20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. So even as God trusted Paul with the gospel, Paul is in effect passing that mantle on to young Timothy. Passing the mantle on. You know, that's a phrase that's even used in secular vernacular quite often. But where did it come from? What incident in your Bible precipitated that phrase? Passing the mantle. You know? Well, it's, it's from Elijah to Elisha, remember? Elijah to Elisha. Elisha was Elijah's protege or assistant. And when God took Elijah up to heaven in a fiery chariot, it passed on to Elisha, passing the mantle. Paul reminds Timothy of that very thing. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and look in verse 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So now here, do you see the progression? So if I teach someone, they're supposed to teach someone and so on. Like I'm teaching you, you should take this and teach someone else. But, and that's, and that's applicable to all of us, to all of us. When I was given to, when I was given license to be an associate pastor at my former church, uh, our senior pastor preached a, a licensing service, and, and that's what he majored on, passing the mantle, passing the mantle on. 
Okay. Uh, let's get back to First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. Okay, we're stewards of the gospel. We're stewards of the gospel. Trust. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse five. Verse five. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So Paul was not a flatterer. A lot of preaching today borders on flattery. You know, just telling everyone what fine folks they are. You know, Paul never did that. Didn't Paul the Galatian didn't Paul call the Galatians foolish? Paul did not flatter people. He was kind of he, he was kind when kindness was necessary. He was compassionate for soul's sake, but he certainly didn't flatter. He said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Such a kind, such a nice man, right? Not necessarily. So Paul reminds these folks that um, he goes, he said, he, he's like, you know, when I was with you, I wasn't preaching in flattering words. And then he reminds Timothy later that that's what our generation, um, you know, if you just dispensationally look at the thing is going to be desiring. Our generation is going to be desiring flattering words. They're going to be heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears. So in other words, tell me what I want to hear. Not what I need to hear. When I was back in my church back in New York, we, we had a lady in the church that came to me and said, you know, I have a friend that has a lot of problems. Can you counsel with her? I was like, man, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know. So I, so I said, well, have, have you gone to senior pastor about this? I said, you know, I'm just the AP. And she said, I did. And he told me to talk to you. Now, our senior pastor's office was right next to the little space that I had working in. And I looked over to him and he just smiled and he closed the door to his office, you know. So I knew I was on my own there. So, but, you know, she persisted and uh, kind of like the woman that persisted to the judge in the story that Jesus told. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll sit down with her. So uh, she came to my office and she laid out her deal. And I said, okay, well, biblically speaking, this is what you need to do. One, two, three, four. Simple, no big deal. Just what the Bible says. So well, she stood up, man, and she put both fists down on the table. She goes, well, I just don't like that advice at all. And I said, well, why not? She said, well, you just told me the same thing four other preachers told me. She was determined that she was going to keep seeking counsel until she heard what she wanted to hear. Truth had nothing to do with it. I was just pastor number five. Now, I don't know if she ever found one. I should have asked her how much money she had, right? You know, it's like the lady who called the Baptist preacher and she said, Pastor, my dog just died. Would you do a funeral for him? And he said, lady, he goes, we don't do funerals for dogs. Don't you know what the Bible says? The spirit of the beast goeth downward. We don't do funerals for dogs. And she said, well, I just love this dog so much. I had such an affinity for this dog and I had him for so many years and I just feel like he deserves a funeral. Do you know anybody that might do it? And, and the preacher just snickered and he said, well, why don't you try the Methodists down the street? Maybe they do dog funerals. And she said, all right, I'll do that. She says, do you think $500 would be enough? And he said, lady, why didn't you tell me it was a Baptist dog? <laughs> all right, bad joke, I know. Well, it, but the point is, what do you want to hear? How much money do you got? You know, isn't that like a lot of the ways a lot of politicians work? So Paul, my point is, Paul was not a flatterer. Verse six, nor of men sought we glory neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. 
Now, as we get further into Second Thessalonians, we're going we're gonna to get a little bit more light into what Paul meant when he said we might have been burdensome. All right, But he wasn't. He might have been, but he wasn't. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, again, we'll get this over in Second Thessalonians in chapter 3. Paul says, I came to you and didn't ask you for anything. I didn't ask you for food or raiment or housing or salary or anything. He said, I worked with my own hands. Now, what was Paul? Paul was a tent maker, right? Uh, making tents was how he earned a living and sustained himself while in Thessalonica with the opportunity to preach to these people. Even though it was the same Paul who wrote the Corinthians and said that those that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. In effect, he's kind of contradicting what he said, but, but then again, not really, because he simply doesn't want to infringe in any way, shape, or form on, on these people uh, to, you know, to give anyone the satisfaction of criticism. I can understand that. You know, I know preachers that have done all sorts of things while starting churches. I know a couple of preachers that used to build houses. Some of them, God bless them, even sold used cars. Right? Um, there are advantages when working in secular work when you're starting a church. One of the biggest is that you get to meet people. And I, I, I may have told you once before, I don't know, but I had the privilege of helping a young, a young church planner start up a church back in New York City. I was actually one of the first trustees for the church when he filed his articles of incorporation. Um, when we finally, well, he finally found a storefront that he could rent and, you know, he had to call electrical contractors and plumbers and so on. And, you know, each one of those guys that we met, he would ask them if they went to church. One guy, a plumber told him that he went to church, but not very often. And he said, well, how often, uh, he asked him, how often do you go? And he said, well, at Christmas. Well, that's wonderful, right? <laughs> you know, bless your heart. So my friend asked him if he would come to church when the church opened and he said he would come. And at least once, and we both said, well, that's good enough. And the guy came and then he came again and then he came again and then he got saved and then he got baptized and became the church's first official member. And last I heard, he's a deacon now in that church. You know, you talk to people, you talk to people, guys at, uh, you talk to guys at the hardware store, the paint supply, uh, you talk to different people around the neighborhood and you know, between the two of us, we probably spoke to 50 or 60 people. And one guy said that he went to church. You know, but you're meeting people. There's a great advantage to that. And Paul knew that. And Paul knew that. Uh, he wasn't just making tents. You know, he had to market them. It doesn't do any good to make a tent if he can't sell the tent, right? Right. So as he's marketing the tent, what's he doing? Well, he's meeting people. And you know Paul. Paul can't keep his mouth shut. He can't keep his mouth shut about Jesus Christ. That's the number one preoccupation of his mind. He's talking to people. Not only is he marking the tents, but he's got to be buying the tent material from somebody, right? You're with me? There's wholesalers. There's suppliers. There's marketers. It's a business. It's a business. And in all of that, he's meeting people. He's talking to people. You know, God puts you wherever it is in the sphere of influence that, that you're in, and he wants you to be a good steward in trust of the gospel. As far as God concerns, when he trusts you and I with the gospel, that's far more critical than trusting us with a million dollars. Far more critical. Far more critical. God's never given me a million dollars. Maybe he just can't trust me with it. But he wants to trust us with the gospel. And Paul says he doesn't want to be a burden. He doesn't want to be a burden. All right. Now, we've hit the 20-minute mark, so we're going to take a short break here. i got to get some water. Uh, refill my little bottle here, and uh, we'll be right back after this this short song. 
right, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Once again, this is Brother Joe Rusiello, and uh, we're studying First Thessalonians chapter two. And uh, we were just talking about uh, we were finishing up on verse five, uh, where we're saying that you know Paul doesn't want to be a burden to anybody, and you know part of the reason for that is found in the last five words of verse six. Let's take a look at that. As the apostles of Christ. Now, some people were criticizing Paul by suggesting that he really wasn't an apostle. So he was trying to do everything that he could in his power to deflect criticism along those lines. You know, he just wanted to be received so that people would listen to the truth. All right, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Now, that sounds kind of odd for a man like Paul to be talking about a nurse cherishing her children. We were gentle among you. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. So I have kind of a sense of appreciation of where Paul is coming from. You know, he's he's making a comparison to a gentle mother. To the Corinthians, he compares himself to a spiritual parent that that he had uh, begotten them. And he had he and he had spiritually speaking begotten them so in other words he had begotten them or he brought them in from the human side the human element into the family of faith he introduced them to the gospel so in that sense he had begotten them you know when you win people to christ and 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 greater even when you pastor people you you just kind of have a tendency to look at them like your children spiritual children it doesn't matter it doesn't even matter if they're older than you it doesn't really matter at all you look at people and you kind of get, get a parent attitude. Well, what do you mean by a parent attitude? Well, one thing is, is that you want to protect them, right? That's what parents do. You want to protect them against heresy and the cults. You want to protect them against, you know, things that are lurking in the shadows, wanting to destroy their testimony or their life. You want to protect them. You want to nourish them. You want to cherish them. You want to care for them. Newborn babes. And that's what Paul is writing to here. What do they need? They need the milk of the word. You know, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know, then they need to graduate to meat, like Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 5. Well, then they need bread, like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, right? And then they need a little honey to go on top of the thing, Psalm 119. You know what believers need? They need a spiritual meal. They need a little bit of this, they need a little bit of that, a little of the other thing they, for total nourishment. And it falls on the parent to provide the children with those things. That's how it works. Paul's expressing his love, his concern, his compassion for, for these people and coming from the standpoint of being a, being a parent. So verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail. Labor is physical work. And you know what travail is? Travail is prayer. That's prayer. He travailed on their behalf. He prayed for them. He labored for them physically uh, that he might be able to reach them for laboring day and night, night and day, because we would not be because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Paul was willing to do whatever it takes to get their attention for the gospel's sake. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Paul said, look, we did everything we knew how to do to live above criticism. 
We try to behave ourselves properly so that you might not only be aware of the fact that we have a genuine concern for you, but that we are also trying to set an example for you. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So Paul starts and compares himself to a mother. Then he winds up in the paragraph by comparing himself to a father. So you see it's a parental thing. When you win someone to Christ, and you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a preacher, but when you win someone to Christ and, and, and you take an active interest in, in them, in their lives, you try to disciple them, you try to help them, guide them, and, and lead them a little bit, you'll find out that you become kind of, a, kind of parental in your mentality. You feel compelled to warn them uh, about things that can hinder them, uh, may, that may be a problem to them. You become, by nature, parental. And that's okay. That's okay. That's what God wants. He says that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Now, he's not talking about the millennial kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. No, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom that people are born into when they're born again. Okay, moving along. We're going to hurry. Uh, for this cause also... Thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So they received the word. And Paul is greatly encouraged by the fact that they did. Now, not everyone receives the word, right? Not everyone that Paul uh, went to preach and not, not everyone that Paul went to uh, and preached to received the word. And we studied that, uh, at, at, like at Philippi, a great deal of what he said was rejected. And then he was rejected. You know, but some people where he went received the word. You know, thank God for you who have received the word. Not everybody does. Not everybody will. Not everybody's interested. But it's incumbent upon us to put it out there anyway. Whether they receive it or reject it, doesn't matter. Now, the word of God cannot work in you if you don't believe it's the very word of God. And that's a great problem that the devil's been very successful in propagating in modern day America. You know, if you, if, if you don't believe that you have the word of God, how can it work in you? I don't know how it can. You know, a lot of people go to church and they listen to the sermon, but they don't genuinely believe that what they have in their hands, in their King James Bible, is the unadulterated word of God. You know, I just happen to believe that. I'm just one of those crazy fanatics. You know, I believe that I've got the word of God right here. Right here. So when God says it, as far as I'm concerned, that settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God said it, that settles it. Now, if you believe that Bible, it can work in you. Otherwise, it cannot. Now, verse 14. Verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So Paul not only attaches himself to a position of leadership, when he says on three different occasions in his epistles, be ye followers of me, even as I follow Christ. But then he, he, he says to these folks in Thessalonica, you follow the churches in Judea. 
Now, I think I mentioned this a, a little bit the last time, so I'm not going to major on it, but churches, that there ought to be churches, established churches, that are an example to brand new churches. Followers of the churches in Judea. The churches in Judea? Well, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the folks in Jerusalem and Antioch. That's what he's talking about. He goes, you follow their example. You follow their doctrine. You follow them, the churches. You know, you can't believe the amount of people that say, you know, we can't find a church. I was talking to a friend of mine back in New York not too long ago, and I've known him for years, and he was expressing his anxiety about not being able to find a church. He said, you know, we would just like to find a, a church that sings out of an old-fashioned hymnal. And he said they couldn't find one. He and his wife have a cousin that's a preacher in upstate New York, and, and his father died, and so they went to the funeral. And he said that at the funeral, they had these young ladies on the platform doing worship dancing. Worship dancing. I kid you not. Worship dancing at a funeral. Worship dancing. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Talk about going to hell in a handbasket, right? I mean, it's just unbelievable. There needs to be, at least here and there, some old-fashioned hymn-singing, Bible-preaching churches that other churches can pattern themselves after. He said, you followed the churches. Well, maybe that's more necessary today than it's ever been. So he said, your own countrymen have persecuted and you have suffered, even as we have suffered of the Jews. You've somewhat... Uh, you have been somewhat persecuted. And then he talks about the Jews in verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men. So the Jewish people were the ones that gave Paul the biggest problem. And he himself had been a full blue-blooded certified registered Jewish Pharisee. But his conversion caused all kinds of consternation on their part and they persecuted him for it. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. The wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. They just hadn't quite seen it yet, but it was right there. Do you know what the wrath that Paul is talking about there is? He's not talking about the tribulation, although that could be an inference into the future. But there, was a, but, but there was a far more immediate wrath to come upon that generation. That generation of Jewish people that had crucified their Messiah, that wrath was Titus and the Roman legion in, about, in, in 70 AD that destroyed Jerusalem and killed and murdered and crucified thousands of them. Do you know what they said? They said regarding Jesus Christ, let his blood be on us and our children. And God said, so be it. So be it. And so it was. Paul is simply saying that there's a wrath coming on them that they couldn't even comprehend. Why? Because they forbid us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So what's the bottom line on the desire of Paul? That people get saved. That's the bottom line. Verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time and for a short time in presence, so Paul had to leave for a while, not in heart, He's still with them in spirit, as most people would say. Endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Paul wanted to return and minister to these people again as a parent, thinking of them and their spiritual needs. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. That's just a nice way of saying more than once, okay? But Satan hindered us. You see, Satan is in the hindering business. He's in the absolute hindering business. 
He hinders people from getting saved and he hinders people from advancing in their spiritual lives. And, and if he can do it, he'll find any way he can do it. And I, can, I can't tell you how many times I've been dealing with people concerning their soul or trying to witness to them, laying the plan of salvation out, uh, sometimes in their home, and then the phone rings, and then the phone rings again. Or how many times people have said to me, I just don't understand it, my phone never rings. Three times, you know. I will guarantee you Satan is at work in those circumstances. Sometimes you have to be proactive in those circumstances. You have to be on your guard. You know, uh, some years ago when I was working at that church back in New York, I went out visiting with our senior pastor one night uh, with a couple that had visited our church, and they were lost, and we went to see them. And he was witnessing to them when the doorbell rang. And he looked at me, and I jumped up, and I said, Don't worry, I'll get it. You stay right there. I'll let you know if it's something important. And it was the Girl Scouts, and they were selling cookies. And it was a nice summer night, so I sat on the front porch, and I, I looked through every box of cookies that they had. You know, I mean, honestly, I didn't have one shred of interest in Girl Scout cookies. I was on Weight Watchers at the time, you know, but I faked it real good. You know, I said, you know, they're a little tied up right now, but do you have any of those chocolate and coconut ones? <laughs> you know, but I'm glad to tell you that that couple got saved. But Satan was work was hard at work hindering. If you do much witnessing at all, you'll see that you'll watch that thing take place time and time again. And if you doubt that there's a real live devil, if you doubt it, let me give you an experiment. I'll give you an experiment. Just start witnessing to someone for a little while and just watch all the possible hindrances pop up. Just watch it. You don't believe there's a real devil? Put it to the test. Put it to the test. Verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not ye even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Now, what's he, now, what he's talking about there is one of the crowns available to a Christian passed out of the judgment seat of Christ. We call this the soul winner's crown. Notice, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? So you know what that crown is? Those people right there that he'd won. He said, I won you. You're my crown of rejoicing. You know, there are five crowns and we don't have time to look at them today. Uh, you need to look them up. You need to study them and see what they're all about. I mean, but won't it be something to get to the judgment seat of Christ and have some little child that you never saw before pull in your robe and say, thank you for sending that missionary to tell me about Jesus. Thank you. And we're going to say, you know, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. The soul winner's crown. Get in on the action. Ye are my rejoicing. You know, thank God for every person who's come to Christ through those who influenced them to do that. And uh, unfortunately, that's the end of our study today. We've come to the end of our time together. You know, folks, I just want to say thank you once again for spending this time with me this morning. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, send us some comments, send us some feedback. Let us know what you think. If you have any questions whatsoever, prayer requests, you know, just go to, the, go to our website, Sword of the Spirit podcast.com go to that last page on the contact sense the contact us section and shoot us an email let us know what's going on and uh, i just want to say thank you once again to everybody uh that tunes in and i look forward to seeing you again next week at the same time until then god bless you and good day You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast with Brother Joe Rusiello. Feel free to email any questions or comments you may have to joe at ephesians516.org. May God bless you and good day.